0: This is our teaching text this morning, Revelation 21.5. By the way, every time I, I read the word revelation out loud in public, there's like a, a weird like Pentecostal annunciation that hits me. Does this happen to anyone else? Like revelation. That's kind of how you have to say, you can't be like revelation 21. Revelation 21.5. Anyone grow up in church and have a pastor who said revelation? Can you say revelation. revelation? Revelation. It's getting weird. He who, has seat, who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. Will you turn to the neighbor on your right and just tell them they look beautiful today as you sit down. Will you then turn to the neighbor on your left and tell them there's a reason why I didn't say that to you? <laughs> I didn't say what the reason was. I just We're in a series about call. Last week we talked about who you're called to be. I'm sorry, who you're being called to and who's doing the calling. We just talked about Jesus, Christology. I was just meant to kind of tug on your heart a little bit. Today, we're going to talk about missiology. So, w- what's happening? Like, what is the thing that we're called to, the mission that we're called to? We're called to a person, and then we're called to a mission. Have you ever been a part of something bigger than yourself? Have you ever been a part of, like, some um, some movement, some organization that just felt so much bigger than you were? you ever been a part of something like that? I, I worked on a political campaign campaign. Uh, Right at the end of college, I was able to like manipulate and scheme uh, an independent study, so I could be on. um, An older friend of mine was running for Congress in uh, Western Mass. I think it was the fourth district or the first district, and so up in the Berkshires. So I was just so excited to be with them. A bunch of my friends were serving on the campaign. It wasn't like super like interested in getting into politics, necessarily. But they had just some need for some of the skills I had developed. Uh, the band that I was in had just sort of kind of fallen apart. Uh, I would broken up with my girlfriend. I'm like, this just seems like a good time to get out of here. Uh, and so there was a little more motivation than that. So I went to be on this campaign. While I'm there, they fired their earned media person. I filled in for two weeks, helping out with that. And I had a couple wins that allowed me to basically, they were able to, you know, not pay full freight for a person, and I was able to fill that role. And it was was pretty awesome. So I got to be, not just because it was, you know, an older friend who was running, uh, but because I had this access now with this job that I had, like, squirmed into. I had access to what was happening. This, this, I don't know if you've ever been a part of, anyone ever actually been a part of a campaign? It's a really specific thing. Yeah, a few folks? Like, when you're in it, it it's like all-consuming. So it was it, it, six months. Ever watch West Wing when they're campaigning? I mean, obviously, it's the president. It's on a whole other level. But it, like, when you're watching that, like, late night, just 3 in the morning, and you've got meetings, and then you're waking up, and everybody's so, sort of like all hands on deck. It doesn't matter who you are. You're putting planning, putting signs um, in people's lawns. Like, you, you're making that all that happen. So we were this ragtag team, not a ton of money, But this is a national campaign, so we are, I mean, I don't remember sleeping for six months. It was just, it was one of the most tiring, exhausting, difficult, and yet joyful things that I have ever been a part of. So I wanted to tell like a compelling story about this, just to kind of open it up. And uh, I texted two friends of mine who were on the campaign. We're still really close, and we look back very fondly on this time. And so I asked, hey, hey, guys, do you remember, like, any really funny stories about the campaign? So you have not a lot of context for any of these things. I just wanted to share with you, like, the joy of being, like, a bunch of people in this together, one goal, one mission, little sleep, doing whatever it takes, the kind of ridiculousness that begins to ensue. You know, people, you ever heard the phrase punch drunk? You know, like, right, it's like you're you're so tired that you're... You've, like, tipped from, like, whatever agitation you may feel into just ridiculousness and goofiness. Anyone get that way? Anyone live that way? <laughs> these are the things they texted me. You know, I don't, I don't know any specific story, but as you asked, Andrew, what came to mind, these are excerpts from our text conversation, was you in a very unfit, disheveled suit in a camper eating disgusting wings from that gross dive bar. Oh, Andrew, the first thing I thought of as my other friend was when you spilled that ham salad all over yourself on the bus. Clearly I have an eating problem. I remember, uh, my friend Cass said, I remember you guys racing office chairs down Main Street in Lee in the middle of the night while I was busy doing FEC reports. My other friend, I remember gaining 20 pounds. My friend Jasmine who's pregnant said, my pregnancy weight isn't even up to my campaign weight. I remember stuffing envelopes for way too many hours and then building a wall with the empty boxes and pretending that the Kool-Aid man was bursting through, shouting, oh, yeah. (sighs) I remember parades. We would walk in some of these parades sometimes alongside the candidate, one in North Adams, and there was a boa. and So one of my friends absolutely just hates snakes with all of her might. And so my friend, I remember you saving me from losing my mind. I remember we listened to Michael Jackson's Scream a lot. I remember that we would write press. Andrew would write press releases, and we would eat buffalo wings and drink Rolling Rock at that weird salmon place across the street. I remember learning how unfair politics is, and that a good guy could lose to someone because they were an incumbent for sixteen years and just had more money. For serious, though. In my 30s, it's pretty incredible to look back at a man, this is the candidate who stayed so incredibly true to himself, inspirational, lighthearted and kind in a climate that was so destructive. It ended our text conversation with, please tell me that you still have that suit. You should definitely um, put it on, smear buffalo grease and wear it during your sermon as a prop. The very last thing, when we kind of got serious and started to recollect, Jasmine wrote, isn't it funny, though something like this in your life, where none of us can recall many specific painful or even funny memories, and yet the entire thing is drenched in such awe and nostalgia, I don't think any of us would give it away for anything. I did not set her up with that. As followers of Jesus, we have this understanding that God is up to something in the world. And we get to join him in it. The first thing as followers of Jesus that we try to do is remember the world that was. To remember that in Genesis 1, the whole Bible starts with a a, a poem. Starts with poetry. All this imagery of what, what, what the beginning is all about. Genesis 1, 6, then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, and that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue it is like take care of it. Help it to flourish. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature. We have to remember the world that was, the beauty and power and creative energy. Our first invitation besides, you know, make babies, is to care for creation and have it flourish. Have it flourish. Make it flourish. This is the beginning of things. We're called to make something of the world, to fill it, to steward it. Many writers have talked about how we're co-creators with God. God endowed us with the capacity to make more. Now, for a follower of Jesus, we want to remember the big story. So we can't just remember the world that was. We have to remember the world that is. God so loved His world that he gave his only son. Why did he need to give his only son? His only son, Jesus, saw brokenness, saw the ache and the pain of the world, and allowed all of that pain and brokenness to be taken upon him Self, because God is a God of love, and He laid before us life and death, and He's not going to manipulate us into making one decision or another. And us as humans rebelled. It's been said the story of Adam and Eve. It's not about trying to make sense of the truth of the literal story so much; it is recognizing that it's still true today. The Adam and Eve story is is like even more than a literal truth. It still happens. We still choose death over and over. Richard Mao says this. Human beings rebelled against God. This meant, among other things, that they violated God's mandate to form culture out of a faithful obedience to his will. In the history of our collective fallen lives, then, humans have consistently perverted the good creation. Women and men have filled and subdued the earth in faithless ways in their family lives and their art and in their politics and in their economic patterns and in their technology and in their educational endeavors in all of these areas and others as well humans have distorted the process of filling and subduing language from genesis that was originally intended to develop along obedient lines we are given this call and we so often bring chaos instead of healthy culture richard lovelace says this the essential mark of the world This is just being honest. Followers of Jesus want to be honest about the reality of brokenness in the world. Richard Lovelace says, The essential mark of the world is distortion of created goods and legitimate values. As Paul or as Augustine teach, nothing which exists is in itself evil. Otherwise, it could not be the creation of a good God. Sin is defined one way as missing the mark. All human structures reflect this. Usually those crooked places take the form of excess or depletion, too much or too little. That's why in, in, in church we often define sin as legitimate, legitimate longings that have gone astray. The devil never invented a pleasure, never did anything good. We just distort. Thus we legitimately seek after wealth, but often by corrupt means. Mountains of accumulation appear today, together with valleys of starvation, People who accumulate defend themselves with excuses that there is not enough wealth to go around or that life is a struggle for the survival of the fittest. I say all this is because I want to ask you a question. Do you feel that in your heart? Remember the world that was and, and weep for the world that is. Do you feel that in your heart? Do these stories resonate in like a primal way? Even folks who are here who aren't followers of Jesus. You have this sense that something has gone wrong. That's why we kind of use the language that we use. That something is not right. And in fact, that not rightness out there seems somehow reflective of the not rightness in my own heart. And so an aching question from philosophers across every tradition has been, will this world always be like this? fractured. And chaotic. This has been the question for thousands of years. For thousands of years. So, central to the world that Jesus arises in. Central to the Judeo-Christian story. was the belief that God not only had not given up on the world, but was actively at work within it bringing it back to how it was originally intended to be. The prophets had a way of talking about this restoration movement of God. They spoke of God reclaiming the earth and restoring the world. They did not talk about people going somewhere else at the end. They talked about God coming here. This is the setup to take a few minutes to describe and make sure we're on the same page of what God's up to in the world. Tony, I want to ask you a favor. Can you just put the word R-E up on the screen? Just R-E. This is the word I want to spend the rest of our time talking about. Or just, uh, not word, prefix. R-E. God likes R-E. God is super into This, This prefix suggests a return to an original condition that was ruined or lost. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 19, 28. Matthew 19, 28. Jesus is helping them see the bigger picture of what's happening in the world, his disciples. And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, At the, and what's it say in your text there? At the renewal of all things. Jesus is talking about this understanding that God's going to put it all back together. There's going to be like a decisive moment in the future where things get put back together. This is, by the way, what almost every book and movie, especially lately, seems to desire. A pivotal moment where whatever we can do to help is great, but some outside force. I mean, this is like every superhero movie ever. Some outside force will definitively drop the hammer of justice and love and put things back together. Jesus says, in referring to the end times, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things. This word renewal describes uh, his return as a rebirth, regeneration, regeneration. Renewal means to make new again, restoring to an original state. Jesus didn't say, hey guys, at the destruction of all things, here's what's going to happen. This is important to point out. There is no despair in the Christian story. There's only hope. There's only hope. This is what God's going to do, by the way, at the renewal, not at the destruction of all things, not at the rapture, that's a different sermon. Jesus explicitly says all things will be renewed. And the word uh, that he uses here for renewal basically comes from two words together, which means new Genesis or like a coming back from death to life. These are big words. Remember when God made the world, he called it good. And so God is not interested in destroying something that he called good, no matter how much we jacked it up. That's good news, right? If you believe that, can you say amen? God's not interested in destroying the thing that he said was good, and apparently we can't jack it up to such an extreme that he won't put it back together. Anyone love like the, the, the uh, HGTV shows? Like where you're restoring a house, refurbishing a house? Why do we love those stories so much? If they were to walk in, if they were to walk in, I can't remember the people's names. Um, my, my wife and, and friends love this, these shows. I don't, I don't know. Give me like a name of somebody. Chip and Joanna, I did know that one, good. Chip and Joanna walk into a house and they look around and it's just, just you can tell it's like, oh man, I can see like the, the beauty that once was, but let's just, it'll be way more cost effective. let's just tear this thing down. I may be shooting myself in the foot because I don't think I've seen many of those shows, so maybe they do do this, but most of those shows are about restoring something, not like bring the bulldozer in, let's level it and just build something new. We love this because there's something like, I think, primal to our very essence as humans as we realize stuff is good. Have you ever had salsa? You know this world is good. Have you ever had tacos? You know this world is good. There's something beautiful about this. Right? Right? seen a cat, you know there's evil in the world. (laughs) Acts 3, verse 21. (laughs) Acts 3, 21. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago. Peter uses a big word here, restore. To restore is to make things how they once were. It's to renovate and rebuild and to put back together the parts that are broken. To restore, restoration in the text has a personal dimension to it. In the same way that God wants to put the earth back together to its original design, salvation, it could be said, is about restoring the relationship and connection that we have lost to God. Albert Walter says this, God hangs on to his fallen original creation and salvages it. He refuses to abandon the work of his hands. In fact, he sacrifices his own son to save the original project. Humankind, which has botched its original mandate, and the whole creation along with it is given another chance in Jesus. Amen. We are reinstated as God's managers on earth. The original good creation is to be restored. That's good. All right, keep going. Turn with me. Colossians 1, 19 to 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, all of God found in the person of Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through blood shed on the cross. Reconcile. That's like to make peace where it's been lacking, to bring back together, to mend what is torn, to fix what is broken. It has this deep relational element to it, to reestablish or to unify. Paul wants us to make sure we grasp that this is a larger issue than just us. He uses the phrase, all things, whether things on heaven or earth, because he wants us to see that this is about all things. Do you know in the Greek what all things literally means? Anybody? It means all things. There's no curveball here. There's no, well, by all things, he really meant only the like called apart, like folks who are predestined to be saved for the bad, bad Bible. All things. Every bird, every tree, every mountain, every star, every single square inch of the physical creation except for cats. Jesus, kidding, God is putting things back together in Jesus, starting with you and me. All of these words, hear this if you hear nothing is, all of these R-E words show us that God always sees us in light of what he intended us to be and he always seeks to restore us to that design that's good, that's good, that's good. We so often don't see ourselves as God intended it. Currently I'm walking through life with a few folks, two different stories, but our, they are uh, in really deep places of despair high degrees of anxiety, unbelievable weight upon them. I, I, I can't share details, but, like, it, it's, it's pretty overwhelming. And in some cases, like, what many of us might imagine, like, worst-case scenario type things. I have found in my discussion with these friends and these people I love is that they lack any sort of vision or imagination for who they are and what they could become. There's this beauty to a, a broken situation. Many of you know this when you've been in broken spots, when you hit rock bottom. You become keenly aware of your need for God, for others, right? A broken and contrite heart God desires. There's something about that that's powerful. AA, right? Anyone been through AA, you know this is the power of AA. You lay it all down. This is who I am. Hi, my name is and I am a. And you name it. You name the need. You name the brokenness. But if that just stops there, you have a problem specifically with the Christian story. R.E. shows us that God always sees us in light of who we were intended to be. Our truest self which is in him and he seeks to restore us to that design. That's what the cross does. And so I share that with you. Why I think that's so critical and so important is because when it comes to these two friends who are struggling, all I'm trying to do time and time again is to get them to have an image, get them to have a vision for who they were intended to be and what God would do in their life. This has an element to it. Maybe you're here today and you are beaten down. There's this old Christian hymn. Um, You remember that song? The hallelujah, what a Savior. Anyone know that song? There's a line in that song um, that goes, "Ruin sinners to reclaim. ruin sinners to reclaim. He came that he would see ruined sinners reclaimed. Reclaimed. So turn back with me as we begin to land this. Genesis 1, 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. Subdue it, take care of it, rule over. Our first call, right, is to be managers. So in light of that, there's this one RE word that we haven't mentioned yet, which is, anyone guess what it is? Resurrection. Resurrection. The early community of Jesus' followers saw in Jesus' resurrection the moment their people had been waiting for God continuing his work of putting the world back together, but in a new and significant way, the restoration of the world. Paul goes so far as to say that Jesus' resurrection was the, quote, first fruits. Which is a super Jewish way of saying, hang on, there's more. The first fruits, this is like, hey, there's a new season, There's something new that has been planted in the earth and something has come up out of it. Uh, Paul uses language about Jesus like he's sort of like the new Adam. He uses this language in Romans. There's something new breaking forth right here in the midst of this world. In the resurrection, we are reinstated as God's managers on the earth. The original good creation is to be restored. Resurrection says that this is our home and that our home is what? Good. I know that's hard right now. I know for some of you that's especially hard. This is the claim. Resurrection says that not only is our home good, but everything about this world that is wrong and twisted and destructive and flawed and failed, everything about it, whether it may hurt or whether it may be something like cancer that's real, however big the bruise, however much blood is on the floor. However much your heart is broken in the end, in some really hard to describe way, it's all temporary. Can you say the word temporary? It's temporary. It's not the end. Hang on. There's more. Jesus is insisting that in the conquering of death, he has brought about something new, and something you can trust. And that whatever is holding you down, whatever is drowning you, whatever weight is chained to your ankle, there is resurrection. And so for the folks that are, are, are not followers of Jesus or have a really hard time with the idea of 2,000 years ago, a guy rising from the dead, you're not alone. A lot of people struggle with that idea. I'm not going to sit up here and try to prove that to you in some sort of convoluted way. I, and I, ultimately, I can't empirically. But what we know is that there has been a community of people for several thousand years who insist that something happened and that there is a tomb that's empty and that when you trust this story, something will be unleashed and unlocked in your heart and in your life. I say all of this because the mission is resurrection. The mission is renewal. The mission is restoration. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5. You still with me? It's really good news if you were to buy it. This is the answer, really, that everyone's clamoring for. There's an article, I can't remember the poet's name, but she said in the New York Times, this is a couple years ago, she said, I don't believe in God, but I sure do miss him. Like, there's an ache for this. It shows up everywhere in our culture. And as followers of Jesus, we need to remember this I want to push back on anybody right now who's like, yay, I know this stuff. Our church talks about this a lot. This is good. It's a nice refresher. Like this, the deeper you go into this reality and trusting that God is up to something in the world, it will have its way with the details of your life in the most powerful and redemptive ways. 2 Corinthians 5, this is how Jesus, Paul writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you trust that you are loved by the God of the universe, forgiven He said, I I put my trust in you. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors As though God were making his appeal through us. Who has the ministry of reconciliation? Before we do, who does? What does it say in the text? Seriously, give feedback. Who who, who is reconciling the world? Christ, God. And then God is going to make his appeal through us. He's handed us this. This is important for anyone who has like mission anxiety. God is doing something in the world, definitive and powerful, and we get to be a part of it. This is why in our current moment, where so many, and I applaud it, are desiring for greater justice around some of the biggest issues of our day. They want the kingdom, all of the values of the kingdom, but they don't want the king. And so it's ultimately, however good and beautiful it can be in spits and and purposes and and parts, it it will be anemic. It will lack power. Because that work that God wants to put together begins in you. So when I stand up and want to shout about systemic racism, the way of Jesus goes, look in first, buddy. Look inward first. Be a part of that. But recognize that God probably wants to heal something internally. Do you know something about the good news of Jesus and how it addresses that? Let's talk about you as we talk about that. And let me heal you as I work through you to heal that. Because I've been up to that for a long time. See, Dr. King. God is at work in the world. We could go down the list. We are joining God in the work of renewal. This, speaking of Martin Luther King, is what he spoke of, so much so at the end of his life. I've seen, I've been to the mountaintop, I've seen the end. I know the arc of the universe and where it goes. When King is saying that, he is literally in one statement basically saying what I just spent 30 minutes preaching on. I probably just should have said that and walked off stage. Do you get this? He is saying, like, "I, I know how it ends. I've been to the mountaintop. It's Dr. King saying, I know all the meat, everything I need to walk it out right now. All the power and all the freedom and all the love to step right into martyrdom, to face whatever pain and ache is thrown at me. I know how it ends. I know it's temporary, and I get to join God in that. See, the church doesn't have a mission, there is a mission that has a church. There is a mission, and we get to join him in it. Behold, we are told, Jesus right now is sitting on his throne. John gets a vision of what is Jesus doing right now. I don't know how it happened. I don't know if, like, what kind of like mystical things were And John had some pretty crazy things that he saw in Revelation. That's why it's a hard book to go through. But the, one of these clear images he gets, at the end he looks, I, I just imagine he's looking up. I don't know why. He's looking up. And he just gets an image. His eyes are closed. And he, he, God gives him this image of what Jesus is up to on the throne. And it's what? Hey, hey, I am making all things new. People are going to choose death. There's this natural consequences to the brokenness that you've done and that others have done. And that decades and centuries of, of doing things wrong will cause. Yeah, I see all of it. And I actually experienced it all. That's why I sent my son to walk into it. And you know what? I'm making all things new. And if, if you like, you can join me. Join me in it. In fact, there's this verse in Peter that talks about how we can speed the coming of the kingdom. Like humans actually can play an active role in apparently renewing what God wants to do. God's like, come and I want to invite you into this thing. So what is the vision that directs your life? If you were to ask that question, when someone's like, hey, what do you do? Oh, I do this. Why do you do that what's the vision that directs your life? Well, my vision honestly is that God's making everything new, and so, how do I live a life of consequence i I join God in that work. I know I make this joke all the time it's like, oh, what do you do oh i uh, I joined like the savior of the universe and putting it all back together what, what about you? I dare you to start leading with that oh what do you do oh well i i, I uh I um so I don't know if you believe in God or not, but I actually believe like the, the force behind everything is like putting this world back together and has shown us what he's like and empowered us to like join him in, in doing that. So this is what that means for how I'm raising my kids. This is what this means for doing my work now with great integrity. This is what it means, and we'll talk about this next week. Or Brian Sanders next week will talk about this of being then the church. God likes R E. God likes R E. Jesus, I trust that your spirit in this moment is going to awaken a bigger vision for folks in this room whose life has gotten pretty narrow, their view of their life and who they are and what they're up to and what they get to be a part of and how big their pain is. It's all really small. like closing in they actually feel like claustrophobic god i'm trusting that your spirit would use my clumsy words to wake some of us up to a bigger vision lord may we see the work of your hands more clearly i imagine lord sometimes when jesus was praying or Jesus was telling his disciples, look, all I can do is what I see my father doing. I, 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 I just trust, it. it makes sense to me that Jesus is, is like just is seeing it at work. He's like seeing the mission. Even as he is a part of it, he's seeing what you are up to. Lord, Give us eyes to see what you are up to in the world. This glorious mission that has literally like changed my life. I never, Lord, you know this, thought I would be up here doing this kind of thing. I still feel weird. And yet, Lord, this is what you do. You give people a vision of, of what you're up to. And then you invite us as though God were making his appeal. You were making your appeal through the baristas in the room, through the engineers in the room. Through the students in the room, through the moms and dads in the room, through the little kids in the room, so God, we're making His appeal through us, Lord, that we get to join You in this work, and that this work involves You putting us back together. I feel like we should do another call to faith, like today. Like if you're here and you want to like say yes to this story. Like throw your hand up right now. Just throw your hand up so we can like identify you and like help you take a next step. Come down for prayer. Just say, yeah, yes, yes. I, I actually trust that I am loved right where I'm at. Loved by the God of the universe, forgiven for my sins, that I get to join God in this kind of thing. I, th- I, th- I thank you. That as big as this vision is, which is so fun for me to think about, and for as many of us, it's also like really personal. It's deep into the heart. It's the wiping away of tears that it says in, in the Revelation. God will wipe away every tear. Whatever's happening in your heart is temporary. Lord, may the truth of you are making all things new, and we are free. with that comfort and with that challenge and with that encourage. I always want to sit in this moment to give thanks to you for who you are and what you're up to. However your spirit might move in this moment, Lord, may it move. We give you just just freedom. Increase our faith, Lord, as we're just open to what you want to do.